Podcast episode 350. There's a nice round number. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And here we are. I've got a brand new show for you. One I'm extremely excited about because I've got the lead singer of the loudest, gayest band in the world, Plasma Canvas. That's right. I welcome Adrian Ash to the show, and we have a great, wide ranging conversation about. All Things Dusk. That is the name of their new album. It's available on Side One Dummy. You can find a link to it in the companion blog piece that's on johnofalltrades.us or in the show notes, no matter what platform you're listening on. But we talk about that album extensively. We talk about the pandemic. We talk about the plans that were, that did not go. Plasma Canvas had the pandemic not happened. If you're a punk fan, you probably would know them if you don't already because they were scheduled to go on tour with Lagwagon and Less Than Jake and they were going to meet up with the Bouncing Souls for three dates. My God, that show would have been amazing. But we dive deep into some of the influences that went into this, some of the songwriting process, some of where Adrian's head was at. And then in the back half of this, I would say probably the last 20 minutes or so of this show, we end up talking about trans rights. Now, I've done shows about this in the past, and it feels like a real particular moment for this kind of issue. Because you see politicians talking about this a lot. And a lot of it feels just very, very misguided, if not outright in bad faith. And one of the things Adrian said that really landed with me was, when you are a trans woman, you are always a topic of conversation, but never a participant. People are always talking about you, but never to you. And if they are talking to you, they're probably talking down to you. Which is why, on this show, one of the things I believe in most is... Look, I'm a white, straight, cisgendered American dude, okay? Like, literally, this entire world, this entire country was built for me. How can I, as someone with those signifiers, leverage my privilege to raise up some voices that don't get as much time? And so it was important to me to spend some time, hey, you're always talked about, but never to talk to me. Tell me what's on your mind. Tell me what you go through. Tell me what your experience is like. And I found it really powerful, really rewarding. I adore Adrian. I think she's a phenomenal artist. By the way, Dusk is an absolute face melter. It's one of my favorite albums of 2023. And she's a fierce advocate. But as she'll tell you, being a fierce advocate, having to be resilient all the time is exhausting. And sometimes she just wants to get some tacos. Who can blame her? Tacos are great. Plasma Canvas is amazing. And I adore this chat couple of quick plugs. You can find me normally at Happy Friday. That's my other show. I do that on the Mile High Left Network. That's every Friday, 10 segments a show. We got tons and tons of great stuff each week. I co-host it with Arthur Raw, Kevin Batstone. Go to milehighlife.com. Go on your podcatcher, hit subscribe, download the episodes. They'll come right to you. That's true of John of All Trades too. If you're not subscribed, why not? Get on it. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your pods, just hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes come directly to you. And hey, while you're there, leave us a review. Leave us a rating. That would be great. That helps the visibility. None of us know exactly how, but it does. So please make it happen. Now then, let's get to episode 350 of the John of All Trades podcast. I've got Adrian Ash, lead singer of the loudest, gayest band in the world, Plasma Canvas. It's a phenomenal chat, and it starts right now. Yeah, I have. Um, I'm focusing mainly on guitar because, uh, you know, aside from, you know, just making sure that my voice is up to snuff to do vocal lessons, it's, uh, you know, there's also a lot of like philosophy and therapy involved in helping people like kind of accept that they only have their one voice. And, you know, like there's a lot more of a psychological dynamic to doing vocal lessons. And so I, I have um, a vocal student or two, but I just don't want to push it. Sure. Uh, but my main instrument is like, I, I write songs and I, I play guitar and, you know, I'm happy to give like vocal pointers and tips and stuff, but I, um, I'm mainly just focusing on guitar. I've also started doing freelance writing. 
And that's been really fulfilling. Uh, I've been reviewing bands and just flexing that creative muscle has been really rewarding as well. Um, I also run our band's Patreon. Uh, I throw up like, you know, I put up a little clip of Descendants sound check. Like yeah. it's basically where you can, you know, where I'm going to put all of our like old demos and like, you know, studio footage and stuff like, you know, and it's like, nobody has to pay for it. Nobody has to go there and subscribe to it. But like, if you're really into what we do and you want more of it, that's where you can find it. Oh, totally. That's awesome. At, at any point, will you put up that live stream you did with less than Jake, not live stream, but it was like during the pandemic, which is where I first came across you all. And I go, who the hell is this? Wow. Like, why hasn't this been in my life? Because so for anyone who doesn't remember who or who didn't pay for these types of things, like Bouncing Souls did one, Less Than Jake did one, and it was like we all missed concerts so much that they put together kind of a concert deal, and you all opened for that. How did that opportunity come about? That specific one was uh, them reaching out to us and, and asking if they wanted if we wanted to do it. Um, and of course we said yes, because it was like, what else are we going to do? You know, like there's nothing else to do. <laughs> we have plenty but, of time. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it was weird, but it was fun because like it was just me and Evelyn, um, our drummer at the time when we were still a two piece, you know, um, Evelyn played all the drums on Killer Majestic, our previous EP and Dusk, our new record. Um, but she left the band because she was just kind of feeling a little burnt out. Sure. And uh, her and I are still great friends. But at the time, it was just like, you know, we didn't have anything going on. And, you know, at the time, all of our dreams had fallen apart. And, we didn't know when the next time we were going to be able to play for an audience was. So we just put together a set that was fun. And, you know, it was like a quick 30 minutes and, you know, she was on the floor of the venue. I was on the stage and, you know, I was like, how can I make this punk rock more than I already am? So I wrote fuck off on my cheek. I remember that. eyeliner <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then I felt bad because I saw like clips of people watching it with their kids and I was like, eh, whoops. <laughs> But, you know, like it's it's punk rock, you know, like the kid is going to hear the F word at some point in their life. Might one, as well be here. One would think so. And and kids will choose what they want. So like my my daughters love like the interrupters and they love rancid. But my daughter, Grace, who's eight years old, like there's a there's a line of blood clot where he goes, I'm a bad motherfucker driving me insane. She doesn't sing the motherfucker part because it makes her uncomfortable. Like kids will select, you know, like she can hear it. But she's like, I'm just not going to do that. And I go, cool. All right. That's great. Thinking back to when I was a kid, which is a long time ago, but like maybe she doesn't sing in front of you because she doesn't want to get in trouble or something. But maybe, you know, in her own space, on her own, sure, she yeah. might be like, I'm a bad motherfucker. You know? <laughs> well, that's definitely her sister. Her sister cannot wait to start swearing. Um, right. My, my first one is a little bit more, a little, little more straight laced, a little bit more sort of right down Main Street in terms of her her sensibility in that way. The other one we call her planet Lolo dude. She's nuts. It's great. Um, Hell yeah. But Lolo anyway, needs to start a punk band. Uh, uh, I think we're on that road. Um, I, I did want to um, like, you asked how that show came about and I wanted to like circle back to like before pandemic. So in, um, you know, early 2020, it was before we announced that we were side to side one dummy. Um, we were already obviously already working with them and we had tracked, uh, you know, our EP killer majestic. And, uh, we had, we actually had a tour lined up with less than Jake and Lagwagon. Oh my for God. May of 2020. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was set for May of 2020 and I was stoked because there was three dates with the bouncing souls, like in Jesus. the New England area, it was going to be the coolest, most awesome opportunity we ever had. And then May 2020 happened and obviously that didn't work out. And, you know, so um, Joey Cape, if you're listening, we would still love to tour with you. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it, I think uh, less than Jake, at least, you know, it may have factored into their decision to reach out to us to do sure. that because we got, you know, everybody got screwed in the pandemic. But like, you know, we were about to do so many cool things and like really blow up. But instead, we had to sell this like upbeat punk rock skate punk record you know while everybody's oh friends and loved ones were dying it was it was horrible and like you know being a new band that no one's ever heard of before like 2020 was the worst time to be that because everybody was looking for comfort and familiarity and like we were something new and different and challenging and we set out to be that you know we cut it so close with the first video we made for that record because it was like 
you know, I remember one weekend we were shooting the video and then the next weekend we got together to talk about it and edit it at uh, like Illegal Pete's or something and it was a packed room. And um, I remember like that day that we all got together at Illegal Pete's, it was because right after that, um, the pandemic was about to shut everything down and yeah. put everything on lockdown. And then that happened. And then we were like, okay, well, fuck, now what do we do? And then later that month, we put out the first video for the title track from Killer Majestic. And, um, you know, at the time it was like, okay, if four weeks to flatten the curve, you know, like everybody mm. stay home for a month and then, you know, we'll see what happens. But that, you know, those four weeks turned into two months, which turned into six months, which turned into like, we don't know when it's yeah. going to happen again. And, you know, so I think that, you know, or at least part of me kind of hopes that, you know, less than Jake took that into consideration when approaching us to do the live stream. Cause we, we had every opportunity lined up for us and then they all just fell apart right underneath our feet. And My God. Know, so I think that they were trying to like help us out a little bit. And, you know, it was also just fun because their portion of the live stream was just so well planned and, you know, the production on it was amazing. And, you know, it, it was just a fun thing to be a part of. And we're really grateful for that opportunity. Well, I've interviewed both Chris and their former drummer, Vinny, on this show. And they are two of the nicest people I've ever met. Um, and if you've ever listened to his show, Krista Makes a Podcast, you know, like the guys from Newfound Glory will talk about how important Lesson Jake was in teaching them how to conduct themselves. And like, they're just stand up dudes, which is cool. But my God, okay, so it would have been Less Than Jake, Lagwagon, The Bouncing Souls, and Plasma Canvas. That is three of my favorite bands, and now one of my four favorite bands, because this is Adrian Ray Ash, the lead singer of Plasma Canvas. And your album, Dusk, when I picked it up earlier this year, it ran through me like a fucking freight train. <clears throat> Literally, I adored it. I, it. And one of the things I've heard you say is, you plan this album to be listened to as an album, which is increasingly rare, which I really like, because I know Amy from The Interrupters said that their newest album was kind of her life story, and it's like, listen to this in order, and you'll pick up some things. So can you tell me a little bit about the development of Dusk? I mean, it's, it's catharsis, and it feels like catharsis after many years of pandemic and post-pandemic horseshit. It was intended to be exactly that, uh, you know, and I got to know, uh, I'll, I'll check out, I'll Google it myself, but like uh, the, that new Interrupters record, that makes me want to listen to it because, um, you know, I like the Interrupters. I've never, you know, dug into one of their albums, but I've heard a few songs and I thought they were pretty cool and sure. I've seen them live and they did a great job. And But uh, it, it was something, um, you know, writing and recording Dusk. Oh, man. Yeah, so <laughs> when we got Side to Side One Dummy... I wanted to make a record yeah. and understandably they were like, well, you know, we, we want to get there, but like, <laughs> you know, let's do an EP first and, and see how that goes. And like, you know, we'll, we'll try things out and we'll move kind of slowly. And, you know, it was respectable and, and cautious and, and they were very cool to work with and very respectable, very respectful. And they've always been great about just letting us do whatever we wanted to do. And I think that that was, um, you know, partially because they're, you know, just cool people that are easy to work with. And part of it was because it was like, okay, well, you guys had your dreams fall apart. How about we just let you be what you are? Sure. And like, you know, we're just gonna not steer this too much. And that's kind of the reputation that side one has always had of like, you know, they, they find great bands who, you know, were already just where they wanted to be and just help them get to the next level. Well, and, side uh, one, for anyone who doesn't know, has hosted, I, I think, at one point or another, many of my favorite bands, you know, the Suicide Machines have been on there, the Boss Tones, Flog and Molly. There, I mean, there's been a zillion bands that have gone, that have been on Side One's roster at some point. So when I saw you were signed to them, I can't remember who I was talking to about this. I think it was Jose from Make War. But I asked, you know, why, why be on a label in 2023? And he said, there's almost baked in credibility there where if a label has bands you like, if you join that label, you're almost transferred some credibility to yourself. Does that land with you? Yeah, it does. You know, because obviously, like, you listen to bands and, you know, you fall in love with these bands and then, you know, you look at the back of their album and it's all got the same logo on it. And you're like damn, dude, this logo, <laughs> you know, like this is powerful. And like, you know, the people who find these bands must know what they're doing. And, you know, Side One Dummy went through a thing a few years ago where like they kind of crunched some numbers and realized they realized that they needed to make some changes. And, um, you know, it was kind of 
you know, they uh, think that they figured out that, it, you know, in a few years, it was going to be just kind of unsustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what they did was they shrunk their operation and like started working with a lot of smaller bands to try to bring them up to the level of, you know, your pop and your Jeff Rosenstock and, yeah. um, you know, microwave and, you know, all these bands that have kind of blown up in the last 10 years or so, you know, your gaslight anthem, like they were trying to like, you know, instead of like, you know, what they were doing in the mid 2000s of taking a band like Gaslight Anthem and, you know, having them be able to springboard to Warner. It was like, take a band with like 1500 followers and bring them up to 30 and like, you know, help them just get to a point where they can kind of, you know, go from there. All of the bands that have been on Side One Dummy are are pretty, pretty great. And, uh, you know, like that's when you join a label, you, you sort of join their culture and like, you know, people wanted to be on fat records because they loved, you know, no effects. And, you know, then after that, it was like, people wanted to be on fat records because they loved, um, you know, like rise against or against me. And, and like people want to be on epitaph because they love like bad religion and refused. And, um, you know, like the, every time I die and people want to go to major labels because it's like, that's where the Ramones and, you know, like the big, big bands that like those legacy acts, like that's where their music lives being a part of a label is sort of like being a part of a wider thing that's bigger than you. And, you know, aside from like them being able to like pay for your records to get made by people who know what they're doing and really nice studios with good equipment and, you know, providing you with like resources to booking agents and, you know, potential management and stuff like that. It's also like, you know, I, love the gaslight anthem and i love jeff rosenstock and pup and you know like i wanted to be a part of that thing and you know iron cheek you know like these are all just fantastic bands and i just wanted to like have our music stand next to theirs and you know now we have that you know we we've done a couple records on side one dummy and you know that's where they're gonna live and you know for until the end of time or the label whichever happens (laughs) first like you know, it's that'll they will live there, and I'm I'm yeah. very proud of that. That's so cool. I I absolutely adore that. It's interesting too because everyone comes to punk rock looking for something, and right. what you're describing is sort of an extension and an expression of that. Because you come to a label, and you you choose to sign with a label. You know, I don't know how many suitors you had, but you ultimately chose Side One Dummy. And you go, this feels like where we fit. So you come to punk rock looking for community. And you found that here inside one. And that's what you just expressed to me. And so it's almost like punk and microcosm. Yeah. And, you know, at the time, it was like nobody else was knocking. Yeah, and, okay. Know, it was the first time. It was the first time we had ever been approached, you know, by any kind of label, um, you know, other than like our buddies who like, you know, put some stuff out and, you know, helped us like get some cassettes made or something, you know, um, like my friend, Jace McLean runs needle juice records. And he was really cool about like us, uh, um, putting, you know, cassettes out through needle juice and, uh, CD copies of our EP, no faces. And, you know, but it was like side one dummy was offering us the opportunity to get into the studio with Bill Stevenson at the blasting room and have like the, um, Andrew Berlin, Bill Stevenson, Jason Livermore dream team make yeah. our records. And so we were like, hell yeah, we, we got to take that. And Jace was really cool about that. But like, uh, you know, going back to writing Dusk, it was the experience of having all of my dreams fall apart. And mm. like, you know, it was also sort of a spiritual exorcism. It was kind of the album that I wanted to make when we got signed, um, you know, where it was just like hard on the sleeve, um, you know, just being true to like what I wanted to do. Whereas like, Killer Majestic is a good EP and I'm proud of those songs, but the whole thing, I felt myself kind of almost in, even in like the writing process, trying to be like, please like us, you know, like, (laughs) you know, here, here's who we are. Like here is a 17 minute EP of our most like catchy, punchy, digestible material. Please enjoy us. And like, I I heard you compare the song firecracker to something that could appear on like a Tony Hawk uh, video game. Or something. As a matter of fact, we tried to get it on the remake. <laughs> Perfect. And, uh, and, you know, the bill was full. So, yeah. Um, but like, uh, you know, it, it was like, yeah, it was kind of, it's a good song, um, but it's right out of a playbook, you know, like sure. bit for bit, note for note. 
word for word. It was like right out of the skate punk playbook and, you know, would have been right at home on fat records in the nineties. Yeah. You know? and, and I, and I adore that sound and I, don't get me wrong. I love killer majestic. Um, I, th- I think those songs rip and they're, you know, that's firmly right in my wheelhouse, but something about dusk just hit me harder just because I, I don't know. It, it felt, it felt raw. It felt, um, dangerous, not, not like dangerous, but like, like, like you're pushing boundaries with it because, you know, I looked at one of the songs and I go, dude, I don't normally do nine minute songs. Like I'm a, I'm a skate punk guy, but I was with you for all nine of those minutes. So I, I hear you. You know, that song in particular, uh, you're referring to the title track Dusk, which yeah. like that, that song took me 10 years to write. Holy shit. And, you know, it was something that I like had a dream with this like melody in it of like, and I like rolled out of bed and I just plucked on that melody for like half an hour. And I was wow. like, I'm never forgetting this. I wrote the basic outline of the lyrics and, some of those lyrics ended up in the final recording and I'm proud of that, but it, you know, it was just waiting for the right time and the right home. And, you know, dusk was, uh, it was more of a risk and I felt very good about taking those risks because, uh, as much as I love killer majestic and I'm proud of those songs and it is a good record. I, you know, it felt very safe to me and I didn't like that. And that was purely on me because I wrote the songs. You know, sure. it had nothing to do with Side One Dummy telling us what to do or anything like that. I know that there have been plenty of horror stories of like, you know, bands making a record that they really love and the label's not into it. So it sits on a shelf, but it was nothing like that at all. Yeah. And, you know, but I felt like Killer Majestic was, you know, it's it was an hors d'oeuvre that ended up being a meal for two years, three years. <laughs> wow. Um, and, uh, you know, now we're finally in a spot, you know, we have this, this full length record. I mean, Dusk just has more to say. I mean, if you just look at the raw time sheet of it and, you know, the timestamp of Killer Majestic is like a little over 17 minutes and Dusk is exactly one hour long. Yeah. And like, I like to think of us as a punk band, but not necessarily because we sound like, you know, a bunch of other punk bands, but because I'm true to myself and I'm not interested in doing what other people think is punk or what we should do, or, you know, we don't need to sound like the Ramones or whatever to, right. to be a punk band. We're just true to ourselves and, and Dusk, um, you know, aside from the length and, you know, by default saying more because you're using more time, it was just also a, a deeper dive in, into myself. And it was like, you know, I wrote that record in this room that I'm sitting in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just written in the course of like, just not having anything to do. You know, I was, all, I was overweight. I was unhappy, depressed. And like, there were things inside of me that I needed to get out. And like, it was also, you know, trying to be sober songs like Dilemma Dancer, I think could be misinterpreted to be like, I gotta be stoned and drunk all the time. Yeah. Like it's, it's not a happy song. Like that song is about how much I it, it's a it's a pot shot at myself. It was like a parody of like this cartoon that I felt like I was. And it's like commentary, you know. right? I mean, so you're mm-hmm. you're talking about various personas that live within you, and we all have them. Some people, I, like I, when I tell people that they they go, no, I like I'm pretty much the same all the time. I go, oh, so you're the same at work as you are with your kids? I don't think so. Like that's very like everyone has personas and the degree to which they vary from one another may change, but that's a difference in degree, not kind. And yeah. so like what you're describing, yeah, I got to be drunk and stoned all the time. That's commentary on a version of yourself that maybe is less than favorable than what you want it to be ideally. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, that song in particular just oozes with sarcasm Yeah, because like, like specifically at the end of the second verse, there's a line where it says, I owe it to you to be yours forever. And I'll do anything to get there except get better. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'll, I'll do, I'll do whatever I can to like, look like I'm being the best version of myself without actually doing the work. Just, just get better. No, no, thanks. That's a bridge too far. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm not, you know, and it's kind of like a conversation between my partner and I where like, you know, I was trying to be a good person and then just calling out the fact that I, you know, it was a lot of lip service without doing any lifting. And, uh, you know, it was, it was sort of like, you know, blistered world is sort of the same thing where like, I 
when I wrote that, I knew it was going to be like, you know, the first single mm-hmm. and, you know, I wanted it to be like the first song we played for an audience. Cause that was just about how I took for granted the, you know, the, the life of being in a band and being an artist and having an audience and like, you know, at, blistered world is kind of saying like i am never going to take this for granted ever again and from now on you are only going to get the truest most authentic most raw and real version of me and nothing else nothing less is going to do yeah it you know i i that lands with me heavy because i coach people for presentations and i get them ready for public speaking and things and i tell them make bold choices and the world will tend to reward you for them now that's not always true some audiences aren't ready for that but in general i say if you're making a choice that makes you at least a little bit uncomfortable you're probably going in the right direction and so for instance like when i was listening to dusk the very first time the first track is him and I'm listening to it, and I check my phone. I go, did I queue up the correct album? Just because it was not what I was expecting necessarily from Plasma Canvas. And as I listened, I go, no, no, that's Adrian's voice. And then we're going, and that song ends. That song's beautiful, by the way. And then it ends, and then that heavy riff comes in. And I go, oh, yep, here we are. <clears throat> and then Blistered World comes in and just melts your face. And I thought, yep, okay, nope, I'm in the right place. But I go, like, it gave me pause to the point where I actually looked at my phone. And so I just thought that was a really cool choice to begin an album. Yeah, and that was very intentional because, you know, if you listen to the previous three releases that we had put out, I don't recommend anybody listen to the first record. It sounds like (laughs) shit, but, um, you know, I stand by the songwriting on the first record. There, you know, there are some songs that could have been chopped looking at you bored to death, but like... uh, (laughs) all of our previous releases started out with like, kaboom, here we are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with Dusk, I was like, it's not that kind of record, you know, like it, it does the same thing, except like, you know, it's, it's an emotional gut punch because that song is about the death of my friend, Josh, my friend, Josh Cornell used to play in a a really awesome band that um, they were called came and took it because they were Texas punks. And, uh, Josh was an incredible friend of mine, just an incredible person, incredible songwriter. And, you know, we went on this acoustic tour in 2018 and just became very close. And, you know, I would play his songs with him and he would do a couple of mine with me. And it was like a two person revival tour in this like rented car, you know, and we just went through Texas and drove through the desert. And I remember, you know, it was 111 degrees outside. And I was like, I have never been more grateful for air conditioning in my entire (laughs) life. You know, so we had that bonding experience. And then in um, February of 2020, you know, Josh struggled with addiction and, you know, that ultimately like he broke his arm and I think uh, like January of 2020 and um, you know, he uh, was like prescribed some pain meds and, addiction kind of just took over and it took him and um you know it i felt awful because like in the last few months of his life i was just i was frustrated because i knew that you know he was such an amazing person and a great songwriter and i just wanted better for him and from him and you know sometimes it's like you just have to love and accept the people in your life for who they are and and where they're at and you know i wanted to start the record off with uh you know the vibe of of dusk where we were at the time because it was like you know my friend just died and i miss him and i'm just heartbroken about that and you know i i knew that like him was going to be the first song because i wanted it to open with something a little bit more delicate and sensitive and then also it, it draws you in sonically because you know, when you start a record with the loudest, craziest thing that you're going to do, then, you know, the only place you can go from there is, is down. And, um, you know, I wanted to like start the record off really soft with something tender and personal and, you know, have it be like this, you know, this, this like heartbreaking thing, you know, to just kind of set the tone of like where I was when I wrote that record. And, you know, I think it resonated really well with everybody given COVID and everything too. Yeah. Oh yeah. We all, you know, everybody lost at least one person to COVID, you know, and you know, there, there were people that, you know, in the industry who died from it and, you know, everybody like was going through this like huge moment of grief. And I knew that 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 would translate really well and that it was honest to how I was feeling. And that was the whole point was just being honest and like, you know, the record is this sort of like spiritual exorcism. 
and wow. um, you know it and I knew that like if we started it off like soft and and tender and sweet and like you know the end of that song is that emotional breakthrough of like you know this I'm heartbroken but I'm going to I'm going to carry on I have to because like what else am I going to do well so to your point uh, I thought about this um there's there's a Weezer song and it's fairly recent where the chorus is all my favorite songs are slow and sad well, that's true enough, but it's imprecise for me. All my favorite songs are fast and sad. So if you, th- so we ordered that Lagwagon live stream during the pandemic too. And that was, I think, on Lagwagon Day. It was May sixteenth. When Joey Cape plays Lagwagon songs slow and acoustic, you realize just how fucking sad they all are, and and how longing they are. And it, I think what you've described is. In the beginning of dusk, you go from him to blistered world. You go, look, I feel like shit. I'm sad. I'm heartbroken. And the world is very, very hard. But you know what? We're going to melt your face now. Like, let's all do that. And God damn it, if that isn't what brings me back to this genre again and again and again. Yeah, it's. I feel like that is the essence of punk and the wider essence of rock and roll. It yeah. is like taking back that control over yourself, your autonomy and the way you present yourself and interact with the world. Being authentic, I think is, is truly punk rock and not necessarily like, um, you know, just sounding a certain way. It's, it's been, it's been a, a, a challenge and a hurdle, but also like, you know, a proving ground for me and for our band, because we stick out like a sore thumb on every bill that we're on because sure. we play a bunch of shit that sounds totally different <laughs> and we do whatever we want because it's what feels real and honest and true to us. And I think that, you know, that's a thing, you know, because I had been told so many times, like, you need to find a niche, you know, you need to like... <laughs> You know, part you need to take like part of what you do, take like a sliver of it, and make that the whole thing. And I'm just not interested. No, in fuck that. that. No, I I agree. It reminds me of growing up a huge pro wrestling fan. You know, people would be like, "You're the next Shawn Michaels, or you're the next Stone Cold Steve Austin, or whatever." It's like, fuck that. I don't want to be the next anything. I want to be the first me. Like that's that's what fucking matters. And so you you talk. <laughs> I want to read this to you because you posted this on Twitter. Um, we don't fit anywhere. It's awesome. I hate it. It's our biggest strength. It's isolating. I'm a great front person. All my old friends wrote me off because they think I'm famous. I'm not, and I'm still broke. We're a great live band. It makes bigger bands afraid to tour with us. Being an artist is complicated. It's the most liberating thing I've ever done. It makes no one with a real job take me seriously. I'm free in ways that most people never will be. I have to sell my favorite gear every month to pay rent. I love it. It's brutal. (laughs) (laughs) And... That landed so hard with me because I've been an entrepreneur now for the last eight years, and most people don't have the stomach for the swings. In two little encapsulated tweets, you've captured the essence of trying to make your own way and doing it in a way where no one else understands it. And so when I saw that, I go, yep, you fucking get it. And you know what? I can tell you, having done this successfully, and granted, it's different. I mean, I'm, you know... I'm sort of in the business space, but I've turned podcasting largely into my entire job with, with that kind of mindset, you're going to be fine. You're going to do it. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is like every interview I've ever watched with my favorite musicians that I look up to, the one thing that they all say in one form or another is like, you know, not having a plan B makes it really easy (laughs) to focus on plan A. Like I'm just not, I'm I'm not good at anything else. Like, you know, I do guitar lessons and I do freelance writing because they're creatively involved. And that's, you know, something that drives me and is important to me and fun for me. But like, I'm not going to go roll burritos for $15 an hour. I'm not going to go like throw beer kegs around a warehouse or like put together tiny parts for, you know, a a medical factory or whatever. I've done all of those jobs and like, you know, I've, I've done plenty of Joe jobs where like, you know, every scrap of paper, you know, was lyrics and every Mm. minute of free time that I stole from the clock was, you know, me spending five extra minutes in the restroom writing lyrics or something, you know, you know, I always had to steal my own time. And, you know, with, with this kind of endeavor, it's like, I don't want to have to do that anymore in between working for some asshole who's making a shitload of money off of my labor. 
and I'm getting underpaid and still can't pay the bills. And I'm just like, you know, I've been broke my whole life and I might as well be broke doing things that are creatively fulfilling because that's the only way I'm ever going to get anywhere with this shit. Well, and where you have autonomy and some agency over how you're spending your time. So the thing I resented the most about working in a corporate job because I came out of the corporate world was the idea that I had to be there even when I didn't have shit to do. Like, seriously, just tell me, and and this is why I work so well with clients, but like, tell me what you need me to do. Tell me when it's due and tell me what my budget is and I will fucking deliver you gold. Just leave me alone. Okay. Don't tell me when, where, how to do it. I will get this shit done. Now piss off. Okay. And leave me alone because I'm going to bring back gold and you never even have to watch over me. So (laughs) you mentioned in that, that you are a great live band and my God, like I haven't seen you live yet, but the one I was saddest about missing because you seem to have a similar kind of unhinged energy is your shows with spells. And I have had Ben Roy on this show and I have seen spells and those shows are always wild. Can you tell me about what that experience was like? You know, it, it was two shows, but it felt like a, a it felt like a tour, you know? Yeah. And so what you're referring to is on February 17th and 18th of 2023, we played two shows with Spells and Cheap Perfume. Oh, man, another great band. Yeah, and and they're both amazing, you know. Uh, um, seeing Cheap Perfume kind of blow up, like we saw them last year at Punk and Drublick, like that yeah. was the coolest thing ever is to see my friend Stephanie, who I've shared countless cigarettes and beers with, you know, at like the marquee or whatever, like, you know, seeing her up on that stage just being a badass motherfucker and just telling all those people to be kind to each other and be good to women. Like it was so powerful and, you know, like playing with um, cheap perfume and playing with spells. I knew that those two bands would like be the perfect bands for us to play with, but also just because I love and respect them so much as people and, you know, their music is like some of the most uplifting shit like, yeah. um, you know, before I knew that it was recorded and about to be released, they played this song called What the Hell is Caution at both of those shows. And I just fell in love with that song. And I emailed Chuck, you know, I sent him a message on Messenger. I was like, what is that song that goes E-E-A-A-E-E, C sharp, C sharp, um, uh, <laughs> A-E, and like, or A-B. And uh, he was like, oh, yeah, that's what the hell is caution. And I was like, can I, like, if you haven't recorded that, can I come sing on it? And he was like, well, we've already, like, finished it yeah. and stuff, you know. But, like, you know, it, it, I'm glad that you like that song. And, you know, songs like that, you know, the chord progressions and the lyrics of, like, I, you know, I don't know if that song is about a person or about, like, um, a mentality or something. But, you know, what I get from those lyrics is, like, you could be talking to a past version of yourself or a person that you love that, you know, just you can't let them in because they're, like, not helpful for you anymore and they're harmful to you. You know, I just resonated with that so much because, you know, the the lyrics are like, I saw you standing there with your bloodshot eyes and you were digging up bones from another time. And I can't let you in my life because the time for restful sleep is gone by. And I I just, you know, I hear that as a 30 plus punk and that just hit me in the gut. And, you know, I, I, you know, I I love spells so much because their music is just like a masterclass in power pop songwriting. And I love cheap perfume because, you know, they, they write good songs, but like, you know, maybe the music isn't as technically proficient as, you know, like a, like, um, you know, a a huge punk band that like has played their instruments their whole lives. But, you know, cheap perfume is, is a punk band in the, in the way of like, it doesn't have to be perfect to be real and honest. Like they're, they're more like Ramones and, you know, like the runaways and shit and, you know, and the runaways were great at their instruments too. But like, you know, I think cheap perfumes, punk rock lies in the essence of who they are and what they're about. And I think spells is the same thing, but I just knew that those two bands were great people who made great music that would be a perfect fit for our two album release shows. And I would love to do as many shows as we possibly can before all of us kick the bucket because those people are some of my best friends. Uh, Dude, uh, great folks. Ben Roy is someone I absolutely adore. And I had him on here during the pandemic. And I mean, I love comedy. I love punk rock. And I mean, he's got both of those just in spades, dude. Like he's incredible. Um, I would be remiss on this show if we didn't 
spend some time talking about trans rights because Plasma Canvas is the self-proclaimed loudest, gayest band in the world, which I thought was a phenomenal superlative that you all came up with for yourselves. But I, I'm curious, I, I'm coming at this from a particular entry point, probably one of the trailblazers here, because there's not a ton of trans visibility really anywhere, like not as much as there deserves to be, but has coming out in the environment post-Laura Jane Grace been helpful or has it been limiting and do people compare you with against me a lot? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because it's it's definitely a double-edged sword, right? Yeah. Um, because like, you know, Laura Jane Grace is an amazing songwriter and her music has helped me a lot. Like, especially, you know, the way that I was able to come out to myself was, you know, I read that Rolling Stone article and I was like, oh, that's cool. I read well, that too, yeah. Good for her, you know, like I didn't, you know, it didn't click with me yet, but the gears were turning and I was like, hey, that's, that's a possibility. Cool. Hmm. And, you know, I didn't even know I was trans yet. Um, I just knew that, like, I was a weirdo. <laughs> and sure, I, felt yeah. like, I felt like an alien. Because um, I remember being in grade school, you know, the boys line up over here, the girls line up over there. And I was just like, can I just go inside? You know, like, <laughs> right. You know, I, Why I do I have to really... pick? Yeah. And that, you know, that kind of feeling is stuck with me. However, when you were talking about wrestling earlier, I was having this thought where people, you know, because people did used to tell me, you're the next Laura Jane Grace. And oh. I'm like, you know, I love Laura and I love Against Me. And we actually opened for them a couple of years ago. And that was a really fulfilling experience. But like, you know, and Laura did help me a lot as a trans person discover and accept my identity. But it does get a bit tiresome and it does feel a bit reductive. Um, because we don't sound anything like against me. And, you know, it's, if you think, you know, somebody told us that we reminded them of like new wave white crosses era against me. And I was like, that's cool. You know, because you're saying something about the music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's more specific it, rather than you both have trans women as lead singers. It's like, that's like, come on, that's awfully glib and pretty broad. Yeah. And, you know, like I always, you know, every time we would get compared to Laura Jane Grace, I, I like, I had to, um, you know, just kind of reckon with that. And it was like, I appreciate what you're saying in terms of like, you see me as like this figure that represents people like me, but it's also like, I have my own distinct identity and, you know, I'm not, I'm not this other person, you know, we write totally different music and, you know, like some of the same influences that reached her also reached me and she reached me as a musical influence. But like, I don't think we sound anything like against me. And, you know, I always knew that somebody was like in the know if they compared us to gloss because <laughs> gloss gloss uh, girls living outside society shit is the full name um, and gloss is an acronym. But, you know, they. Yeah, their whole discography is like 16 minutes. And with those two EPs that they put out, they changed the world of punk rock and especially like trans punk and hardcore. And like when when we would get compared to Laura Jane Grace, especially and against me, um, especially like in the early days of the band, it just felt like a lazy comparison. Yeah, um, because well, it's, like it's, you, it's like very easy. It's very surface level. Yeah, it's like, you know, one other band with a trans person in it. Cool. Then they you play punk. Yeah, and like a trans woman, like you could have said the clicks, you know, right. Lucas Silvera is is awesome, you know, or, you know, like, but, you know, it was always Laura Jane Grace from Against Me. And, you know, it's it's conflicting because I really respect Laura as a person and as a songwriter and as a trans like influence on the world. And she kicked down so many doors for so many of us. And I'll always be grateful for that. But like, um, you know, it's a thing that I think a lot of trans musicians have gone through. It's starting to get a lot better, though, because now we have like, you know, bands that, you know, I'm not trying to be the the next Laura Jane Grace. I'm trying to be the first Adrian fucking Ash. Yeah. And, you know, now you've got Reed Alcott from We Are The Union, um, Jer from We Are The Union and Scott Two Network and uh, their project Jer. Um, you have Evie Echoes. 
you have um, hers, the hers collective, which is like if you're into grindcore, you know that's that's cool. But yeah. it, there there are a lot more like up and coming trans artists that uh, you know are kind of widening that scope. Like Laura broke it open, and you know now it we get less and less comparisons to against me all the time. And the ones that we do get are based on the music, which I think is mm, awesome. That is like, good. That you know that comparison to a new wave white crosses era against me was like it was pretty recent and you know it was um around the same time that i got like you guys are like my chemical romance if they were like trans and a little heavier and like <laughs> you guys remind me of like jimmy Eat world with like heavy riffs and i'm just like you know those are like three of my favorite bands <laughs> so thank, <laughs> thank you, you. For, yeah yeah it goes jimmy Eat world my chemical romance maybe against me gaslight anthem somewhere in there and like jeff rosen stuff like those are all like some of my favorite artists. So it's, it's cool to get compared to the rest of them now that yeah, there's totally. more space. Well, I'll give you one more. As I listened to the song jewelry box, I even texted my friends this. I'm like, I was just out front with my kids. Like, cause every night after dinner, we just, you know, they do handstands in the front yard and they're riding their scooters and, you know, we're throwing the ball around and shit. Um, but I had, I was like, as I was kind of prepping for this, I was just listening to dusk again and the song jewelry box felt like a Nirvana track to me. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Thank you. So like that's that like and I just felt that like that's what came up. And so I texted my friends. I'm like, I'm getting serious Nirvana vibes from Jewelry Box by Plasma Canvas. And so they listen to it. And they go, yeah, totally. So, yeah. And, and, you know, and I think that that that's a great comparison because like, you know, we've gotten like comparisons to like sludgy, grungy stuff like people use those words. But it's not because we wear flannels or have ripped jeans. It's because like. You know, I play a chunky guitar sound and, you know, that song was like me digging into like the self-loathing aspect of a lot of that music and and, uh, the loud, quiet, loud dynamics of the songwriting, like, you know, Pixies, Smashing Pumpkins, Nirvana, like especially Nirvana. I've always felt really like connected to Kurt in in a way that I think is a little bit more tangible than like, you know, I want to write a Smells Like Teen Spirit, I you know my favorite Nirvana song was always something in the way because of how painful it is. Oh yeah. That, that one's, if you're, if you're in the wrong mental space, that one can be pretty tough. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, like, uh, Oh, that guy killed himself. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) You know, like, and I am committed to never ending my own life because I don't want to fulfill that stereotype. But jewelry box is definitely like, you know, I think there's a positive glean from that song because you know, it's basically saying, you know, it's it's like the f- self-flagellation, like it's the lowest valley of the record. Yeah. And like, you know, the dusk is like a song about death, but it's like being at peace with death because you've you've like resolved a lot of this trauma that that you've worked through. And uh, I the next song after Jewelry Box is like it's dedicated to my mother and like the you know, how difficult it was for her to raise three children as a single parent. And like, you know, this flood destroyed our house that she got like a couple of months before it was flooded and destroyed. It was her first time like being a homeowner and like being a single mom. And, you know, it's like a forgiveness to her and like, you know, an honoring of my mom and like, you know, trying to, it's, it, it was like a setting of intention to work through that trauma and jewelry boxes, like, the lowest valley, the lowest canyon of hell in in the personal psyche. And I knew that I had to really dig deep on that one. And the line, uh, I'm not afraid to die, I'm afraid to survive, was very poignant to me because it was like, you know, death would be a release from this pain, but like surviving and working through it is the real terrifying thing. And, you know, the, the positive part of Jewelry Box is like, if you are down in this filth, if you are down in this sludge and self-hatred, there is somebody, there is at least one other person that understands yeah. how you feel. And we are in this bullshit together and we'll get through it. So, Adrian, does it ever wear you out? Because my very existence is not politically controversial in any way whatsoever. Does that ever wear you out and get you down? Yeah, every breath I draw is political. Yeah. Where do you find that strength to keep going? Because like I the idea that the trans people are a threat in any way whatsoever, I cannot imagine just put yourself in someone else's shoes for a change, right? Where you have to go through years of therapy, invasive medical procedures, um and and spend I don't know how many thousands of dollars to express who you want to be and then emerge into a world that's hostile to you. 
right? That, yeah. That, that to me, if, if you just put yourself in that position for a second, no one would willfully choose that because that, that, that path is very, very difficult. And so the idea that this is an affront somehow to society has just always been baffling to me. So I'm wondering how you, how you manage to cope and persevere through, I mean, you said every breath you draw is politicized. It is. If you want to know who your real friends are, tell them that you're a girl and see how many stick around. Mm. Uh, you you're know, you're talking about me specifically or you or, no, or, no, no, or no, anyone just, like just. Yeah, the royal you. Like, okay, yeah, the royal wanna, we got it. Yeah, if you if you want to know who your real friends are, uh, tell them that you know your identity is one other than what they know you as, and see how many people are willing to respect that and like move forward with you in your life, and how many people just that's a bridge too far, you know? Because mm-hmm. that you know being trans is like the most punk rock thing you can be, other than like you know being black or like a person of color, sure, you know, and and that's why like trans women of color are just you know i i bet that they get so tired of being resilient because i swear to god i get tired of being resilient yeah sometimes i just want to be a person you know and i live in fort collins colorado which is like a pretty liberal little blue dot in a sea of red yeah but like it's hard because uh you got ones you know and this is what our song election year relapse is about it's about like trying to be sober and failing first of all but then yeah. it's also like you know having that happen in, in the midst of like an election year where like you're a talking point being a trans person is always being a topic of conversation and never a participant in it oh and, god that's you know, that seems exhausting yeah it is it is absolutely exhausting and like you know you, you're always talked about but never talked to and you know and when you're talked to you're talked down to or you know like it's it sucks because like there's that gloss line from their very first ep that says um they told us we were girls how we talk dress look and cry they told us we were girls so we claimed our female lives now they tell us we aren't girls our femininity doesn't fit we're fucking future girls living outside society shit And, you know, that that hit me and so many other trans women and trans people in general, like like a brick wall, because you you told me my whole life that I was a sissy. I was a faggot. I was, you know, you know, not good enough, you know, not masculine enough. And then whenever I accept that about myself, you tell me I'm a man and I'll never be a woman. Yeah. And like you've got the masculinity that says you're you're a gross man and you know you're you're disgusting and you know you're weak and feminine and sissy and then like you've got like the trans exclusionary radical feminist or turf side of it that's like well you know if you're angry about any of that then you're just an aggressive dangerous male that is trying to invade women's spaces and parody us by being you know a stereotypical version of femininity i'm just trying to get some fucking tacos like i i did (laughs) not ask for any of this i'm just trying to like be pretty and like live my life and be left the fuck alone and that is hard enough without going back to election year relapse you, you know that song i wanted to burn an american flag and smash my guitar into it but that didn't go over well with everybody who was involved with the video not going to name any names but i was pretty dissatisfied with that you know because the whole idea is it's not fuck the left and fuck the right it's like the democratic party and the republican party and the far right you know all of these are conservative entities there is no left-wing party in the united states government there is um, the party and the side of the aisle, which is the right side, who wants to kill me and act, you know, simultaneously wants to say that people like me are pedophiles or that we're dangerous or that we're corrupting youth and indoctrinating children and all that shit. But they also want to pretend that we don't exist. And, you know, none of their points make any sense. Uh, but you got one side of the aisle, the fascist side, that wants to kill you. And then you have. You know, the Democrats who, um, you know, they they pay you a bunch of lip service, but they don't actually do anything. And that's like a thing. That's why there's a lot of black conservatives is because like, you know, they feel, you know, a lot of black folks feel the same way you know, about how like you got one side of the aisle that wants to like play to, you know, like the, how dangerous you are. Like in the 90s, it was, you know, it, it was kind of a bipartisan thing that black people are like these super predators. And, right. you know, it was it was fucked up and gross then and it's fucked up and gross now. 
But like, you know, you got one side of the aisle that like wants to criminalize you and the other side pays you lip service, but can't be bothered to actually do anything for people like you to protect you. Um, and then, you know, of course, like all of them are heavily invested in making us fight with each other. So we don't come after their money and make them pay their fair share in taxes and, you know, take care of each other. And that's a whole other like anarcho socialist conversation. But like Election Year Relapse in particular is a song about how I am actively hunted by like half of the country and then the other half of the political side that has any power and voice like maybe says trans rights once a year in June. And then, right. you know, and maybe in November for trans month of remembrance and, and whatnot, but uh, they don't, or trans day of remembrance in November where we remember the dead and murdered trans people, you know, but like doesn't actually do anything to protect our rights. And it's starting to get better because like with progress comes backlash and with that backlash comes, you know, people that have to, you know, you have to draw a line in the sand, like where you're going to stand. Because yeah. if you're sitting on the fence, you're enabling, you know, if you remain neutral and in matters of oppression, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. That's the thing that, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of democratic politicians have to reckon with is like, okay, put up or shut up. Like you're either going to protect trans people and trans kids and trans healthcare, which is just healthcare. It's just um, human healthcare for fuck's sake. I mean, like, yeah, you're either going to do something for us or you're not. And, you know, if you choose to not do anything for us or protect us, then, you know, these other bastards, these fascist pieces of shit are going to make sure that we don't exist anymore. And you, if you want us to turn out and vote for you, you probably ought to do something for us. Well, Stand up and continue to exist in defiance of all these motherfuckers who want to deny your humanity, and I will stand right there with you. I believe on this show, and I, this is one of at least a few episodes that I've done about this. So let me ask you, for anyone who doesn't have a show, for anyone, even me, someone who is a white, straight, cisgendered man living in America, what can we do to support you and people like you? You know, I think... Um for us to, you know, because it started as a thing, I would say on stage to immediately polarize the crowd to go up and say, we are the loudest, gayest band in the world, motherfucker. And, you know, we always I always say the motherfucker, too. Good. It's like it just adds some punk rock to it. But like, uh, you know, it started as a way to like draw a line in the sand. Like if you like these songs, then you're about this. And if you like the riffs and the punk rock, but you're not into the message, then this isn't for you people using, you know, leveraging their privilege to like take care of people who don't have as much of a voice, like that's important. You know, that's why I've I've chosen to really run with, you know, we're the loudest gayest band in the world. I know that we're not as gay as like some, you know, all queer band that only writes about trans issues and like being LGBTQ. And I know that we're not as loud as like Sun who like plays with <laughs> 10 amps on stage or whatever. I know that we're not trying to like beat some kind of decibel record or like, you know, right. who can be more fruity on stage. You're, you're not just you're, you're not doing this in a, in a quantitative way. Right. It's it's not about like being able to measure how loud or how gay, because like I made a post about that. And, uh, you know, of course, the Instagram comments are always cool and supportive and the Facebook comments are always shitheads. But like, <laughs> Jesus. you know, I made a post about that on, you know, Instagram and, you know, it auto shares to Facebook and all the Facebook comments were like, well, no, that was this band or no, that was that band. And, oh, you know, yeah. and it was like. It's not even about who is more loud or more gay. It's the fact that, like, when I say this, you're either with us or you're against us. And if you're against us, we're going to crush you. And if you're with us, we're going to crush them. <laughs> I love it. That is a phenomenal note to end on, I think. This is the time on the show when we do plugs. Adrian, where can people find you? Plasma Canvas, anything at all you want to plug, please do it now. Uh, well, we got a new record out. It's called Dusk. It's on Side One Dummy Records. We're working on... Um, booking some more tour dates for later this year. So if you're a booking agent, we don't have one and we would like one. So hit us up. But also, um, I review bands and I write bios for people. I do a lot of freelance work in my writing and I would love to do more. And I do guitar lessons and stuff. So if you want to learn how to play guitar, just DM us on Instagram or something or email me at adrianrayash zero 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 at gmail.com or plasma canvas at gmail.com whatever works um but you know my job is to be adrian ash from plasma canvas and 
take that as far as I can take it. So we really appreciate all of the support. There's a Patreon if you like all the little Easter eggs and fun stuff that you don't get anywhere else, you know, but mainly just continue to support trans rights. And if you want to come see us at a show, you should do that because we love meeting new friends and, you know, we want to we want to hang out with everybody always all the time. So well, thank you so much, John, for having me. Of course. And if nothing else, I will see you at the Punk Rock Saves Lives Festival at Ratio Beer Works. I think you guys are playing that. Um, yeah. Oh God, that's going to be a crazy day because we're doing that festival. And then later that night we're headlining new worst fest in Fort Collins. Well, so I went to that last year and it was a killer time. Like, and it's a great lineup, bad cop, bad cops on there. Uh, my buddies and all waffle trick are playing. Those those are some good cats. Um, that's going to be killer. Adrian, this was an enormous pleasure. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you for your advocacy. And thanks for taking time with me. I wish you nothing but continued success. Thanks, John. I'll see you soon. And that'll do it for episode 350 of the John of All Trades podcast with Adrian Ash, lead singer of Plasma Canvas. What a phenomenal chat. What a phenomenal artist. Be sure to check out those links. Those are in the show notes and the companion blog piece on johnofalltrades.us or whatever podcast device you're listening on, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your pods, it's in there. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. In addition to this show, I've got nine others including Happy Friday, and then a bunch that I produce for clients. I got that 10th one coming up here. It's dropping sometime this summer. I'll tell you more about it when I can. It's going to be exciting. You're going to love it. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. They've developed unbelievable proprietary tools for getting your message in front of the audiences who need to see it most. So whether it's a campaign, whether it's a product, a good, a service, trying to reach people four degrees can help you do it through email through social media through advertising however you need it done hit them up the number four d-e-g-r-e dot e-s i'm out of here for the time being check me out on happy friday that's every friday that podcast goes up 5 a.m 10 segments of show denver focused great fun it's constant season i'm gonna be out there so hit me up that's where i talk about all the shows i go to part of happy friday and I just, I love summer. I feel reinvigorated when summer comes. And it's a thrill to get to do this for you for a living. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I hope whatever you're doing, you're finding fulfillment in. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.